Thanks for joining the Heights Church podcast today. We hope that you enjoy the message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Goldstone Road, Hornsby Heights, Sydney, Australia. Today's reading will be from Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 44. Then he went down to Copernicum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching, because his words had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you ever come, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon drew the man down. Then the demon drew the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, "What words these are! With authority and power, he gives order to impure spirits, and they come out." And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of, home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he went, over, he went over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had, who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. The last time Lockie uh, read the Bible before an audience, um, it was a little bit bigger than the crowd we've got tonight, but no less significant. Uh, He and many of our youth did an awesome job and had an awesome time uh, at State Youth Camp and have come back just as I have very energised and encouraged by... Uh, that experience and I think uh, Lockie that uh, not just you but you're a great example of like the work that God is doing in our young people Uh, and and we uh, are all very excited with the little glimpses I think we get of the next generation coming through here uh, at the Heights Church. Uh, Tonight I'm going to be speaking a little bit about from the passage that we just heard uh, about and uh, I'm very excited to speak about this passage. I think it's got a lot to say to us. Uh, I believe that the Bible speaks to all of us, whether we're five years old or 500 years old, that God's work, uh, God's Word is powerful and effective, uh, that it meets us where we are at. And, and I pray and hope that whatever has been your experience uh, today or this week, whatever's going on in your world, uh, that this passage in particular, which is one I'm very excited about, might speak into your circumstances and situations. Uh, So let me just pray again very quickly. Uh, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the chance to hear from you, to be taught from the Bible. Uh, And we pray tonight that you would indeed speak to us, encourage us, challenge us, uh, and move us into action. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, From 2001 to 2014, there was a TV show on that you may or may not have heard of called 24. 
And the unique and predominant feature of the TV show 24 uh, was that each season's events uh, occurred over an exact 24-hour period, each episode uh, capturing one hour of action each. A whole season done and dusted 24 hours. And hanging over the show uh, was a reoccurring uh, ticking clock uh, showing just how many hours and minutes and seconds of the 24 hours uh, was left. It it added a lot of tension. Uh, We're going to watch a short video now just of the clock that I am talking about, the most stressful clock in television history. The clock ticks, uh, you feel that tension. Uh, As I speak about this passage, you can almost imagine this clock ticking over uh, this story that happens for Jesus here. What I love about this story is it captures uh, a 24-hour snapshot of Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, And the story covers the events of Jesus as he arrives to a city called Capernaum. Uh, And it starts on the morning of the Sabbath. And what I love about this story is that in the sort of prequel to this story, what had happened before is he just left his hometown of Nazareth uh, to come to Capernaum. Nazareth much smaller. It's as if like maybe he's come from Port Macquarie uh, to Sydney. That's what the sort of change of locale was like for Jesus in this story. Uh, more interesting than that, perhaps, is the reason why he left Nazareth is because they attempted, the people of Nazareth, to shove him off a cliff to his death. They attempted to do that. So he went, you know what, I'm going to go out of here and I'm going to go somewhere else. And he went to Capernaum. Well, where the people of Nazareth was angry and disappointed with what Jesus had to say, the people of Capernaum, it says, were astounded at what Jesus had to say, the authority in which Jesus preached. You see, most preachers, myself included, any other person, uh, as we speak, we just basically are trying to like almost be like, uh, you know, this is what God's telling all of us. No, none of us are speaking up here with any authority except to like sort of point towards the Bible and say, how cool is this, uh, what you can see there in the Bible? So we might quote other people, we might like use commentaries, we might use, uh, you know, examples from pop culture, we might use whatever we can to just say, look, look how cool this thing in the Bible uh, and what it's got to say, and, and, and maybe I wonder what that applies to us. That's all we can do as like normal preachers. But Jesus wasn't a normal preacher. He didn't have to quote anyone, he didn't have to read a commentary, he didn't have to reach too far because the Bible tells us uh, that Jesus was himself the Word of God, the Word become flesh. So Jesus wasn't teaching somebody else's words, he was declaring his own. And he did so with such authority that the people were, it says, astounded. And Jesus preached in some difficult situations some situations with some interruptions. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a preacher be interrupted before during their sermon. In my experience, uh, preachers are not very prepared for this. Uh, A comedian might know what to do when someone heckles. If you heckle a preacher, they will fold. They will have nothing to say. I once attended a Christmas service uh, at a church. 
Big service, big service of the year. Everyone's come, invite their friends. Everyone that comes to church once a year is there. Uh, and halfway through the preacher's sermon, uh, an air conditioner that lay to the side uh, of the service, for reasons I still don't know, it started uh, to make the noise of a jet engine, and then all of a sudden, it started to just shoot out water all over half of the congregation. Halfway through the sermon, I have never seen a preacher flounder as much as that preacher did that particular morning. And let me tell you, I would as well, okay? You have prepared, you're trying to do this. What, what, are, what do you do in a situation like that? Well, Jesus, when he got interrupted by air conditioners or otherwise, never floundered. He had the authority to know what to do at all times. And when he was preaching in Capernaum, this is what it says. It says, Jesus was confronted by a demon-possessed man who cried out, and there's a Greek word for what he cried out. And I looked up the Bible commentary, I looked up, investigated, what, what's this Greek word for what this demon-possessed cried out? This is what, uh, this is what it literally translates uh, to something from the Greek. It translates as, ah! That's it. That's what the demon-possessed man came running up. No small interruption. This is bigger than an air conditioner shooting water. And let me tell you, if one of you uh, is possessed by a demon and runs up up here, I'm going to hand the microphone back to Natalie and hope some of her uh, Mauling College gap year program has equipped her to know what to do in that situation. I got nothing. Jesus, he knew exactly what to do. You see, a demon in this person was annoyed. Annoyed because Jesus came to disrupt sort of the status quo where evil and bad things was able to reign. And the demon knew who Jesus was. He says uh, to Jesus, uh, what are you doing here? Assuming he knows who he is, what, what are you doing here? So essentially saying, this is our domain. We've got, we got nothing to do with you. Your, your domain's up in heaven. We've got earth. And this is why it says in James chapter 2 to the people uh, of that time, you believe there's one God? Good. Because even the demons believe that and it makes them shudder. The demons believe in God and know what God is up to, but it makes them shudder. They hate it. They're scared of it. So in this story, Jesus responds with a command to the demon, be silent. Something we see a lot in the Gospels, even when a demon might be saying who Jesus is and testifying truth, Jesus says, be silent. And there's a few reasons why Jesus does this. One, a demon is probably the worst endorsement you can have. Uh, second of all, Jesus wanted to avoid people getting the idea that he was there to cause an immediate uprising against Rome. And three, Jesus wanted to maintain his authority. Jesus speaks a simple word, and the demon leaves the unnamed man, throwing him to the ground. And the audience in Capernaum, who are already astounded, it says they upgraded their feelings. Their feelings upgraded from astounded to amazed. Verse 36, they were all amazed and kept saying to one another, what kind of utterance is this? Essentially, what kind of word is this? What kind of message is this? Not only what he speaks, but what he does. And it says in verse 37 that the word about Jesus didn't just stay in the building, but it got out. A report about him began to reach every place in the region. And so, as we go through this 24-hour period, you can see Jesus is starting in like a religious setting, like maybe we are here, in a synagogue, which for all intents and purposes, we could understand and imagine to be like a church. But the word of Jesus didn't just stay in that small gathering, it 
got out. And I think even with us, as we gather for church, the message of Jesus and what God does in our lives isn't supposed to just stay contained to this place. No, it's meant to get out. It's meant to work in all places. Amazed and astounded people don't keep a secret and nor should we. This is often what it means when we talk about sharing Jesus with other people. It's not having all the answers, it's not knowing everything that's happened, but it's just saying to people, you know what, something astounding and amazing has has happened. Something. It, It was Jesus. I don't have all the answers, but Jesus is up to something. And so the story moves from the church out into the world. But then it moves into the intimate setting of Simon Peter's family home. Simon Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he had a mother-in-law, and his mother-in-law, it says, was suffering greatly from what Luke describes as a high fever. And the story says, as the clock ticks over this 24 hours, without any hint of delay, Jesus heals her. And then it says, also without any hint of delay, that uh, that Simon Peter's mother-in-law it says that she began to serve the group. She began to minister them. And I really think Simon Peter's mother-in-law here is an amazing example for each and every one of us because I think that one of the reasons why God works within the brokenness that you and I have isn't just to fix us, but that we may be fixed to go and serve and help other people. We see this uh, with King David in Psalm 51 He prays a great prayer of forgiveness after he has stuffed up big time. And one of the things he says in his big prayer of forgiveness in Psalm 51, verse 13, it says, Teach sinners your ways, uh, sorry, teach me your ways so that I may help sinners turn back to you. David says, God, this experience has taught me a newfound importance of sinners turning back to you. It's created a desire in me to see others do what I'm doing now. Essentially, fix me and use me to help others. And I wonder if I could challenge you tonight to consider, okay, we all know, we all know the things about us that aren't quite right. We all know the things about us that are a bit broken, the things about us that fall short, the things about us uh, that, that perhaps we don't necessarily share with other people, but we know and God knows those things about us that aren't quite right. And I want to challenge you to think about the ways that God wants to interact with your brokenness in a way to prepare you to go and help other people. Especially for perhaps the teenagers in the room, I can think of so many things that I went through when I was a teenager that I thought, this has no purpose. This has no point. I just want this fixed now. And yet, God didn't fix a lot of those things immediately, but He worked in them and through them over time. And now some of the things that I thought were just the worst things about me, God has since used to help minister and love and serve other people. And I want to encourage you that the exact same thing can and will happen in your life if you let God work in those things. And finally, and this is the last part of the story as the clock ticks, is that... uh, as sunset arrives, uh, a crowd is, uh, arrives to Jesus and they wait until sunset because they, wait. they didn't want to break the Sabbath uh, restrictions about working, moving, carrying people. But as soon as the sun goes down, a crowd comes to Jesus, not just a crowd, but a crowd carrying sick, hurting and broken people. 
It's filled with people who bring those in their life who they know are sick and suffering, those in their life who they know need Jesus. And this is where the story uh, operates both uh, in in the religious space, uh, in the home space, and then in the world space, and then it goes full circle. And I love that this story just doesn't stop. There's no point in this story where the, the director yells, cut. It just continues. And it says that Jesus not only shows his authority, but he shows his compassion. In this story, Jesus cares for every single person who is brought to him, just as he cares for every single one of us here tonight. And as the story ticks over towards the 24 hours, finally it concludes with that daybreak he departed and Jesus went into a deserted place. He withdrew to be with his Father in heaven. I wonder if we so often get that order mixed up. We think about what God might want from us in church. We think about what God might want from us in our home. We think of what God might want from us in our world, the places that we interact with people. And then finally, we see in this story, there's a fourth place. There's another place where Jesus interacts, and that is simply in the presence of his Father in heaven only. He goes to be alone there. And I think often we think, okay, the thing that God most wants for us is the church stuff. And he does want that stuff, and that's all a part of being a follower of Jesus, is bringing your gifts and your service to God and and using stuff in this space to love him. But I wonder about those other three places. I wonder how God wants to use you in your home. I wonder what the role you play in your home is. I wonder how you could uh, bring service and worship and love of God into that space amongst the people who know you best, or to put it more accurately, the people who know you worst. How How do you bring the love of Jesus into the place where every single person knows you're a hypocrite? But what about also in our world, that the spaces where perhaps we want to sort of separate ourselves, at least in our mind, away from serving God? I wonder what opportunities you have to bring love and worship and and, uh, the the ethics and the morals of the kingdom of God and and the gospel, the good news of Jesus, into those places. But I also want to challenge us tonight as I finish, what about that fourth place? Because I think that is often the place where God requires and asks the most of us, in that quiet place where it's just us and God. That place where we just go to meet with God and to just lay ourselves bare to Him and say, God, I don't know what to say, but here's what I'm going to say. That place where there can sometimes be a lot of words and sometimes it can be just a few. That sometimes that place where you're like, I don't know what to say or I'm not feeling it. And that place where sometimes you're just feeling all of the feelings. I often think it's that fourth place that God works and then flows into all of the rest. When we're just going through the motions, sometimes we just prioritize the church stuff and then forget about the rest. But I want to challenge us tonight, all of us, to think about this 24-hour period of Jesus and the way that he allowed his service of God, his uh, idea of bringing the justice of God, his idea of worshiping God into each of those spaces. And I wonder for each and every one of us with the days that we have, 
with the resources that we have, what are the ways that we can give glimpses of God in those spaces, in our church, in our home, beyond that to our world, but all flowing from that fourth place, that private, quiet time that we have with God. With all the 24-hour days that we still have left, what ways, what are the opportunities that you have to proclaim the kingdom of God to your word with your words and your actions? God reigns and God is king over all, but he wants to use us, he wants to work through us, and he wants to work through our imperfections, our strengths and our weaknesses. So may we all be challenged by that tonight uh, as we go from this place that we don't sort of just, okay, clock off from God and go to the other stuff, but no, think of it the opposite. You're going out energised, you're going out excited to be with God in all of those other places. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much that you uh, allow us to serve you, that you allow us to worship you. Each of us have uh, unique situations. Each of us have uh, different um, places in our life where we're up to, different places in our faith journey where we're up to. Uh, But I pray, God, that you help us to go into those other spheres. Help us to navigate what it means to be a follower of you in those places. I pray for... Uh, our youth who go back to school this week, um, as, as some of them who went to state youth camp or some of them who've been going through some other things, um, as they go back into that space, may they bring the good things about what you're doing in their life into that space. And I pray that you would protect them, that you would help them when they fall, and that you, God, would just continue to be working through them, uh, not just on the mountaintop experiences, but in the day-to-day. And may in all these things and all the things that we do here and elsewhere bring you glory and honour. In Jesus' name, amen.